0: Thank you so much. You know, that's the desire of my heart, is that when I get to heaven, there's going to be more gold, silver, and precious stone than wood, hay, and stubble. I've had my days of wood, hay, and stubble, folks. I, uh, I know the difference. Take your Bible tonight, please, and open up to the book of Colossians. Colossians, and chapter 1. I'll give you just a moment to find that. Colossians chapter 1. The books of Ephesians and Colossians uh, are really, really good reading. They really, really are. And they both have, uh, uh, as their theme, the um, relationship, the mystical relationship between Christ and the church. And in the book of Ephesians, the emphasis is on the church. And in the book of Colossians, the emphasis is on Christ. And the way you can remember and keep them... Um, keep them straight, keep them separate, is uh, Colossians begins with C, and Christ begins with C, and Ephesians begins with E, and Ecclesiology (laughs) begins with E. (laughs) So Ecclesiology is the study of the church. So there's Ephesians, the emphasis being on the church, and there's Colossians, the emphasis being on Christ. And that's what we have here. Look in chapter 1. Verse 14, notice Paul writes, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Now, who do you think he's talking about? Right, our Lord Jesus. Even the forgiveness of sins. Amen, aren't you glad about that? And Paul goes on to describe Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. Everything that God, the invisible God is, Jesus Christ is. That's the idea. The firstborn of every creature. For by him, now verse 16 is what I'd like you to zero in on, and there's two words in particular I'd like you to see. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So we're just going to stop there. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the Christian spiritual battle. The two words I wanted you to see here in verse 16 were visible. That's the first word. Guess what the second word is? Invisible, right. Visible and invisible. (coughs) So let's begin with a word of prayer now. Our loving Heavenly Father, we don't pretend, any of us, we don't pretend to... To know the end from the beginning or to have all of the answers but we know who does and we can depend on you and come to you and we do Lord right now and in prayer we humble ourselves at your mighty throne and we ask you for continued mercy and grace in our lives father we pray one for another and uphold one another the best we can because we're struggling all of us the pastor struggles The assistant pastors struggle. The deacons struggle. All of the people of the church struggle. Day after day, it's a struggle. Many times we groan under the struggle. Lord, so many times we make mistakes and we open our mouths when we should keep them closed. And we go places we shouldn't. And we do things we ought not. And then on top of that, we don't do the things we ought to be doing. And sometimes don't go to the places we need to go to. We're really mixed up. All these things have some kind of repercussion. Dear Heavenly Father, help us tonight. And This message is about the Christian's spiritual battle. Often we forget we're in a battle. We just see day by day life going by. We lose sight of the actual battle. Help us tonight, Lord, to see things as you see them. Maybe if we could hear the the cries from the battlefield, if we could maybe smell the spiritual gunpowder. I, I, I don't know. Father, do whatever it is that needs to be done for us to be more keenly aware that this world is not our home, that we're strangers, literally. Our home is heaven. And we'll be there one day, maybe sooner than we think. And until then, there's a battle going on. And help us, Lord, not to be a hindrance in the battle, but to be a help. And so instruct us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, subject here tonight of the spiritual battle is something that I have taught on many times over the years. But you know, as as I see the world getting closer and closer to that coming... Uh, horrible seven years known as the tribulation. As I see that approaching. And every day brings us closer to it. One step closer. Make no mistake. And as I see what appears to be the devil gaining more influence in the world. Wow. In the Philippines there was a bombing. Did you see that? Southern Philippines. All those people killed and many injured. And in Brazil, did you see what happened there with the the, the mining uh, disaster there, and they're thinking that the dam is going to let go, and they've dis- it's, 24,000 people have been displaced. Two weeks ago, a little three-year-old boy fell down a hole in the ground. It was a mining shaft, and it was over 100 feet down, and it took them two weeks to finally reach, I think 13 days, to finally reach him. And he was dead. And the news is filled with story after story of weird, crazy, heartbreaking things. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, there's always been sorrow. We know that. But I've never seen the magnitude as I've seen now. The weather seems to be changing its mind all the time. And... uh, Parts of North America, the States, and Canada have gotten hammered with some incredibly hard weather. We've been very fortunate out here. We really have, folks. We really have. But all of this taken in into account, the more I see these things coming to pass, the more I really believe with all my heart that we need to, to hear this kind of teaching again about the spiritual battle, that we be not lulled into some kind of false sense of of security, or, or perhaps just blindness. Now, I'll be honest, there are many people in the world who do not believe in spiritual things. There are a lot of them. And they probably number, if not by the, the billions, by the hundreds of millions, but there's a lot of people who do not believe in spiritual things. They reject spiritual things. Why? Because they cannot see them. They cannot touch them. They cannot even taste them. And so they reject them. Now that's understandable because spiritual things you, you don't touch with the hand or taste with the tongue. However, I hasten to remind everyone that there are also certain physical things, real tangible physical things that we still can't see. We still can't feel to the touch without the aid of some kind of very powerful microscopes, we wouldn't even know they exist, and yet they're just as real. And so, spiritual things exist. They're very real. And what we need is we need an instrument. There it is right there, folks. There's your instrument. There's your high-powered microscope, if you will, or your high-powered telescope to look off in the future. And with the Bible the instrument that God has given you and I, we are able to see that which is invisible. We can do that with the Bible. Now, one of these things that is invisible, we often call the spiritual battle. And we call it the spiritual battle, but I suppose we could also call it the spiritual physical battle. Why is that? Here's why. Because there appears to be a close Correlation, a close connection between invisible spiritual things of life and visible physical things of life. And I'm suggesting to you tonight that they're not far apart, that they're close to the point of touching. And I'm suggesting to you that they share some kind of mystical spiritual connection in some fashion, so that a man's invisible spirit and soul can affect his visible body. In other words, I'm suggesting to you tonight that these two things that exist, the invisible spiritual and the visible physical, they influence each other. And it's true for every one of us here tonight. We are influenced by spiritual things and we can influence spiritual things. It's a two-way street. Now, uh, people can influence their spirit and their soul by what they do with their physical body. I'll give you an example. Ingesting physical drugs such as cocaine and LSD will have serious effects on a person's invisible temperament and their invisible confidence and their relationships toward others. And all these things are invisible things of the soul and the spirit. And the influence also goes the other way also. It's well documented that the invisible things such as stress and worry can produce some pretty serious physical side effects such as ulcers, migraines, and heart attacks. So there's a lot of documented evidence on this. But let's not stop there, because the picture's not complete. We've established that there are invisible and there are visible. The spirit and soul, the physical body. And these things influence each other. But what would happen if we added yet another element? Another element of influence to this already volatile mix. If we add the influences of the world and of the devil himself, then it's not too hard to see how this can bring about mental and emotional and physical breakdown. And you know it, and I know it, there are many people in the world today whose lives are in constant turmoil because of this back-and-forth influence. The physical upon the spiritual, the spiritual upon the physical. Some people must rely on heavy medications so that they can function and just get through a day. There's a lot of that. And we see plenty of evidence in the Bible to support this understanding of the invisible and the visible influencing each other. Now, for example, observe in the Bible the visible behavior of some people who were possessed with invisible demons. Boy, that's evident in the Bible, isn't it? Demon possession. They were possessed with invisible demons, and as a physical consequence, the influence of the spiritual upon the physical, as a consequence of the possession by invisible demons, we see superhuman strength. We see irrational behavior. We see nudity. We see even several attempts at suicide. But would anyone deny the visible reality of their superhuman strength? Would anyone deny the visible reality of their irrational behavior or their, their dis, nude display or even of their attempted suicides? No one would deny it. No one, not even the most worldly of people would deny it. Of course not. But the question is, what caused it? What caused all of that physical behavior? What caused all of that that influence in that person's life. Turn back in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, just a few pages, and go to chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Take a look there, please, with me. Verse 10, where we'll pick up. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, pause. Why would Paul write that? If there was not a visible and invisible, a physical and a spiritual, and the influence they have on each other. Why would he write that? If there was no connection between the physical and the, and the spiritual, if there was no connection at all, Why would he write this? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why would we need to be strong in the Lord? Why would we even need the power of his might? If there's no unseen enemy, no invisible influence that can affect us. But apparently there is. And look, he goes on, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, every bit of it. That's what he's saying. That ye may be able to stand Against the wiles of the devil. Someone says, What are wiles? Well, wait a little while and you'll find out. No, I'm just, that was terrible. A while is a cunning trick, not just a little party trick where, you know, it, you know, watch, <laughs> or how do they do that again? Where they, uh, something like that and make the finger jump, uh, like, oh, ho, ho. little party trick. No, 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 that's not what the devil's up to. He's not trying to tickle your funny bone. He's trying to break your bones. He is a, like a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may, what? Devour. He plays for keeps. And the wiles of the devil are like a, uh, a trap door through which you fall and get seriously hurt if not destroyed. These are the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And here's why. Verse 12, read it out loud together with me. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In that one verse, you have the invisible spiritual and you have the visible physical you've got them both in that verse and paul loved the dear people at the church of ephesus and he was trying to encourage them and build them up and strengthen them and protect them and teach them something and this is so important for us today the invisible spiritual influences the visible physical the invisible influences the visible The spiritual influences the physical, and it goes both ways. Now, in our time remaining tonight, let's use our instrument, our Bible, and let's observe the physical and the spiritual side by side. We're going to take a little journey tonight, and we're going to look at both sides. We're going to get to look behind the curtain. So please, let's go back in the Old Testament. We're going to go to the book of Numbers. Now, that's easy to find. What's the first book of the Bible? What's the second book? Exodus. Exodus. What's the third book? What's the fourth book? Numbers. Chapter 22. Numbers 22. Numbers chapter 22. We're introduced to a very interesting clown, and his name is Balaam. And he was uh, a spiritual man, and he understood spiritual things, invisible things. And so um, uh, Balak, the king of of, uh, Moab, he uh, wanted to hire Balaam to come and to curse the children of Israel. Balak was also a spiritual man. He was a physical man, but he was also a spiritual man. And he believed in spiritual things. And so he said, "Hmm, I need me a powerful potion. I've got to get something stronger than their spiritual power. And so he knew that Balaam had a reputation for, uh, I guess, knowing uh, about spiritual things. And maybe he was involved with prophecy and whatever. He had a reputation And so um, Balak sent and offered him a lot of money. And uh, the bottom line is uh, Balaam wanted wanted the money. That's what the New Testament says. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. That's what the New Testament says. And so Balaam finally went along with it. And so he's going to go and meet up with Balak. And he's going to curse the children of Israel. Now he's already told Balak, well, listen, uh, (laughs) You know, I can't guarantee what comes out of my mouth. You know, I'll just tell you whatever the Lord tells me. Okay, good enough, good enough. This is the white paraphrase. All right, come on, do it anyhow. And so he does. And you know the story. I'm sure you all know the story. It's a classic. So he gets out his little uh, Honda motorcycle called a donkey. And he gets up on his donkey. Now, let's pick up the story in verse 21. Follow along here with me. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass, and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel, by the way, sometimes God gets angry when we go where we shouldn't go. We say, why why would God get angry? We're made in his likeness and image, and we get angry sometimes. And so uh, when we disobey him, when we do things that are really not his will, and we know they're not his will, uh, God can get upset. He can he won't stop loving us but he may have to chasten us which is sort of what he did here so God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord stood now the angel of the Lord is very spiritual very invisible he stood in the way for an adversary against him now he was riding upon his ass that's the donkey and his two servants were with him and the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand So that's what the the dumb brute beast saw. He saw this this angel, which must have been quite a terrifying sight, and this big flaming sword or whatever in his hand. And so what does he do? It says, and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. What's wrong with you, stupid beast? And with a stick in his hand, he whacks that poor animal. Whack, whack, whack. Get up there on the pathway. Verse 24, but the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself unto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot. I wonder if he limped for the rest of his short life after that. Eh? So he crushed his foot against the wall and he smote her again. Oh, you, I'll teach you a uh, smick smack pow pow. Verse 26, and the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. Isn't this amazing? Here you have the physical and the spiritual playing out before your very eyes. Our instrument, the Bible, reveals it. It pulls the curtain. It shows us what's happening in the visible, the physical, and it shows us what's happening in the invisible, the spiritual. At the same time, we've got it played out here for us. So verse 26, the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place, where uh, was no way to turn either to the right or to, to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. Pow, pow! And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? Can you imagine this? This idiot, he, is in, he doesn't realize that the donkey is speaking Hebrew. He can't, it doesn't click. And so he answers back. He talks back to his animal. Balaam said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me, I would there was a sword, or a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? You may be wondering why I'm talking like that. Uh, because the, the ass uh, apparently is female. See? She fell down under Balaam. So what do you expect her to sound like? Eh? Was I ever want to do so unto thee? No. It was a female ass, so she sounded sweeter. Anyhow, Balaam says nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Good for him. He should have gone back home, but he didn't. He kept going. Here we have a very interesting portion of the Word of God showing us both the physical and the spiritual happening at the same time. Now you say, wow, that's an exciting story. I'll have you know that there's a spiritual battle happening around you, wherever it is that you live, wherever it is that you work, wherever it is that you go to school, wherever it is that you go shopping for your groceries. In this world, there is a spiritual battle going on, and we can't see it. God knows all about it. The the angels know all about it. The demons know all about it and the devil himself knows all about it. And we're warned about it in the Bible. God has not given us eyes by which we can see spiritual things. We have eyes of flesh and blood. We can only see things of flesh and blood. We can't see the invisible. We can only see the visible. That's why we need this book to tell us what's going on. But you see, there's a an incredible example. The Bible's full of these. Let's take a look at one more. Let's turn to the right, to the book of 2 Kings. Second Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. Boy, this is an exciting one. Wow. Don't fall asleep. Don't miss this one. 2 Kings chapter 6. This is... Uh, In the days of the prophet Elisha, he came after Elijah. Elijah went home to heaven, and Elisha took up his mantle and continued on his ministry. And so, uh, Elisha was just telling what God told him, and it was foiling the plans of uh, a nasty old king. And uh, he was the king of Syria, he was warring against Israel. If you know anything about the history of Israel, they had a big split, and um, uh, the whole kingdom divided ten tribes and two tribes, and the top ten tribes were known as Israel, and the bottom two tribes were known as Judah, and Elisha lived in the area of the top ten tribes, and so they had their problems, and they needed revival. They never had one good godly king, never. Uh, Judah had a number of good godly kings, but they had some bad kings in there too. But the northern ten tribes never, never had one good king. Boy, they really needed a man like Elisha. You know what? You may work in a very ungodly atmosphere in the office or the factory where you work. Maybe you're the only Christian. That company needs you. Maybe the school where you go to, maybe you're the only Christian. That school needs your presence. Every every company needs the, the presence of God as found in a saved man or woman. If God has given you that job, that's a ministry. Don't gripe and complain because maybe you got passed over for some promotion. Don't gripe and complain because you think you deserve more than what you're being paid. God gave you that job. So let your light shine. Elisha let his light shine. Did what God told him to do. And so, anyhow, the king of Syria was trying to make war against uh, the ten northern tribes, and he was being foiled because Elisha was telling the, uh, uh, the, the, the Israelites there uh, where to go, where not to go, and uh, he was like saving the day. Uh, the bad guys were losing. And so, anyhow, verse 13 uh, and he said, go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, behold, he's in Dothan. So the king wants Elijah. Go, bo- go get him, boys. Capture him. Kidnap him. Bring, him. bring him to me. Well, he's in Dothan. Verse 14. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early... So whether it be 4 in the morning, or 4.30, or 5 in the morning, or whenever that was, and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? It's like the servant comes running back in the house, and he says, The jig is up. What will we do? We're up against the wall. You know, it's 10,000 against two. What are we going to do? And so, verse 16, he, that's Elisha, answered, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Can you just picture now the servant looking around? Counting. One. Two. Uh, let me go to that window again. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 9,000, 10,000, oops, I missed some. There's 11,000 of them. 11,000 against Two. That's all I see. And Elisha says, don't worry, there's more of us than there are of them. Wow. (laughs) What did you have to eat before you went to bed? Verse 17. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee. Now underline these words in your Bible, would you please? Take your pen or pencil. Open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So Elisha was absolutely right. There's more of us than there are of them. Don't worry. Did you know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Did you know that? Why would we be told that if there weren't a spiritual battle? The greatest trick of the enemy, the devil, is to make you think there's no battle. To make you think when you go to work, when you go to school, "Ah, it's all just physical thing. This guy, that gal, this place, that place. It's all just physical. It's all there is. That's one of the greatest tricks is to deceive you. A great magician will deceive you. And he'll, he'll direct your attention to this hand when he's doing something with this hand over here. Great magicians are like that. The devil is the greatest. So let's continue reading. Verse 18, and when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Wow. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. (laughs) They're all blind. And so they're all holding on to each other. How many thousands of them there were, I don't know. And he, he led them to Samaria. And you can read the rest of that story there, but you have it played out right on paper in front of your eyes. You've got a physical and you've got a spiritual happening at the same time. I wonder tomorrow when you go into work and you see the physical, I wonder what the spiritual is. Or when you go to school, I wonder what the spiritual part is. I wonder how the devil is trying some battle. Did you know that there is a clash between angels and demons? The Bible makes that clear. That stuff really is still happening. But the devil's greatest trick is to put us to sleep that we're not even aware of the spiritual battle. And I'm here tonight to help open our eyes that we may see that there is a physical and there is a spiritual, and they are connected. They influence each other. The things of the spiritual side of life influence the physical side of life. And likewise, what you do physically will have an effect on the spiritual side. They're connected, folks. And there's a battle going on, and we need to be aware of it. And I'd like you to turn to the New Testament now, to our last portion of Scripture, and it's found in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 27. I'd like you to go there now. We have here the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul knew all about the battle. He was keenly aware of the spiritual and the physical. He knew that when you do things in the physical, it has an effect in the spiritual. And when you do things in the spiritual, it has an effect in the physical. And if it weren't true, then why do you even pray? Prayer is a spiritual activity, amen? And don't we pray in order to see answers to prayer on the physical side? Of course we do. That's why we're praying for our sister, Balmy and we're praying for our sister, Sandra. Because we want to see God do a miracle. You say, but, but pastor, what if it's not in God's will? Well, then we better vote in favor of God's will. That's what we need to do. Because God makes no mistakes. We don't always understand what God does. The loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a, a car or a house... The, the, any kind of loss, and we say, oh, why did that have to happen? Some of us are real good at it. And you know what we do? Is we, we put on a, a record. You remember the old records? For the younger people, they were round things, about this big. They tend to be black. And they had all these fine little grooves in them. And they had this arm with a needle. And you put it on, the record goes around. Shh. And then you'd start to hear the sound and the music and so on on the record. And what some of us do when things go wrong, as as it often does, is we put on this record. Oh, why does this always have to happen to me, 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 me? I don't know how we manage to hang on to that stuff. But some of us are good at that. Oh, it always happens to me. I wonder how many billions of people play that record. Maybe the devil gives it to us. I don't know. Let's get rid of it tonight. In Acts chapter 27, the apostle Paul is in this ship. And the ship is headed toward Rome. And Paul advised them not to make the journey. But all of the professionals looked at the weather vane. They stuck their finger in their mouth and they checked for the direction of the wind. And they said, hmm, looks good. Let's, let's go. The owner of the ship, the uh, governor uh, of the ship, also they all agreed it's good. And so, all right, we're sailing. And so, you know, the apostle Paul said, mm, all right. And so they all went together and there's a couple of hundred of them on the ship. They get out to sea. And this wild storm hits. It's called Euroclidon. And these winds somehow over the Mediterranean. I'm not a meteorologist, so I don't understand all of the weather things. But when the warm air and the cold air mix somehow, it creates havoc on the open sea. And the ship was caught in the middle of it. And for days and days, they were caught in this incredible storm. Now, let's pick the story up here. Chapter 27. And verse number 19. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And so they'd already done a, in the verses before. You see verse 14, Eurachlidon, see that? That word means a violent agitation. That's what the word means. That was the name of the storm. Violent agitation. In Greek, Eurachlidon. And so they did all of these things. And uh, verse 20 Uh, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Everyone on board. Everyone thought we're going to die. We're all going to die. We're going to die. If we don't die today, we're going to die tomorrow. Whenever that is. We haven't seen the sun or the moon or the stars in days now. We don't know what day it is. We don't know what time of day it is. But we're all going to die. You know, the gods must be having a great joke with us. Any moment now, some big serpent's going to come up with its tentacle arm and just crush us and take us to the Davy Jones locker, to the bottom of the sea. It's going to happen. We're all going to die. That's how they talked. They're all going to die. Have you made your will yet? Well, who cares? They'll never find it anyhow. Oh, that's right. We're all going to die. That's how they spoke. All hope was gone. They were absolutely in despair. Verse 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. And he gives his reason. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, And whom I serve. Folks, we've been talking about serving the Lord. Going on into perfection and being a servant of God. Please make that decision in your heart. If you haven't already, that you're going to be God's servant. We need to serve the Lord with all humility of mind. That's the best way you can spend your life. You won't find a greater way to spend your life. The money's not worth it. Fame isn't worth it. Nothing this world has to offer is worth it. Live your life for the Lord. For the gold, silver, the precious stone. Otherwise, all you're going to have in heaven is the wood, hay, and the stubble. And that stuff gets burned up by the fire. And so Paul is now revealing the spiritual side. And so we have the physical side, the big tempestuous storm, Eurocladon, the boat looks like it's going to be destroyed on the sea. Hope was all gone. That's the physical Now, the spiritual, be of good cheer. For there stood by me, verse 23, this night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Did you know Paul was a prisoner on that ship? He was a prisoner. And the truth is, they were all his prisoners. The way God saw it, Paul was the most important one on the ship. And God said, "Don't worry. Don't worry. Paul, you've got to testify for me in Rome, and as a favor, I'm going to give you all these souls. No one will lose their life. It's like Paul was the guy in charge, and he was the prisoner. Isn't it amazing? You know, sometimes we don't realize our position as children of God. Up in heaven, they look upon us and say, "Look, there goes the king. Oh, here comes the queen. Here's another queen. There's another king. That's how they see us in heaven. Here on earth, people look at us and say, there goes a peasant. There goes an idiot. There goes a religious fool. That's how the world sees us. But how does God in heaven see us? You see? Ah, let's live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And let's not fear what man will do unto us. God's in control. So verse 24, And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Underline that. Boy, that's good. That it shall be even as it was told me. When God said it, I believe it. That settles it. Someone said, I tell you what, God said it, that settles it. Doesn't matter if I believe it or not. If God said it, it's true, that settles it. Verse 26 Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. And you can read the rest of the story at your leisure. What shall we say to these things tonight? I want to pull the curtain. I want us all to see that there's not just a physical life, there's a spiritual life, and there's a battle going on behind that curtain. And you and I just don't know what traps, wiles, tricks the devil has laid for us Monday morning. You and I just don't know what's waiting for us when we get into school or when we get into work. We just don't know what tomorrow is going to hold when we open our eyes. Tomorrow morning, I'll tell you this. There are people in this world who will open their eyes tomorrow morning. They'll get ready. They'll leave for work. And they'll never arrive because they'll be killed somewhere along. They'll get into a car crash. There'll be a horrible thing happen to them. You say, how can you be so sure? I'm just going by the odds. Hey, I read the news too. And I read all the time. People have these wild car crashes getting to work first thing in the morning. They never dreamt that that would be their last few hours on planet Earth. And off into eternity they went. Now if they're saved, what happens? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if they're saved. If they're lost, Luke 16, they lift up their eyes in hell. Where am I? This place is not supposed to exist. We don't know what's going to wait us this week. We don't know if there's going to be some blessing or if there's going to be burden. We don't know if there's going to be happiness or heartache. We just don't know, do we? We have no guarantee. But we do have guarantee on this moment now. What shall we say to these things? This physical and spiritual and the influence they have on each other and the spiritual battle that's going on. What shall we say? I say this. I urge you tonight. I urge every single person here tonight to live your life every day, hand-in-hand submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't find a better way to live your life. I encourage you to humble yourself at the feet of Jesus every morning and ask him for protection. The book of Job shows us very clearly the physical and the spiritual what went on, that conversation that went on between Satan and God, and the reasons why Job went through what it was he went through. It's shown to us in the book of Job. And something very interesting, Job was in the habit of asking God for his hedge of protection. If you've ever read the prayer of Jabez, oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that thy hand might be upon me to keep me from evil that it might not grieve me. He was asking God's hedge of protection. One of the reasons why some Christians go through so much heartache is because they don't ask God for a hedge of protection. They are not going into the spiritual in order to affect the physical. It never occurs to them to pray God's hedge of protection around their family. And their home and their car and all the works of their hands on every side. It doesn't occur to them to pray for God's protection on their reputation and on their cash flow. It doesn't occur to them to ask God for his hedge of protection around all that God has blessed them with. I urge you to do it. Oh, I encourage you to do it daily. Ask God for his protection. I do. I suggest you pledge to Jesus your undying love And devotion and worship and adoration you see the truth is when Jesus stands beside you there is no spiritual or physical bully that can possibly harm you now I read a post on a discussion group online it was written about a year ago by a woman who shared the bullying experience she went through as a 13-year-old girl in school. She wrote that there was a boy, a loudmouth bully, at her school that took notice of her and began to mock her and push her around and caused her a lot of grief. And one day after a few months of this, she suddenly realized that she probably ought to talk to her older brother who used to go to that school and had graduated, and he was a great big galoot, and he worked out in a gym, and he had a big facial hair and hair under his arms, all kinds of muscles and things like that. Her older brother uh, nodded. She told him all about it, and her older brother nodded and said he'd take care of it. Well, later that night, her older brother managed to get the bully's phone number, and he called him, introduced himself on the phone, and... Point blank told him to lay off his kid sister. The bully just laughed and mocked the older brother over the phone. The next day, the older brother said to his kid sister, hey, I'm going to drive you to school. When they got there and they got out of the car, the older brother recognized his old gym teacher, who was also a tall, tall, large man. The two men laughed and shook hands and started talking. That's when the school bus pulled up, and off gets the bully. What a picture, as the bully saw the girl standing next to this huge stranger, and the bully watched. He watched her as she tapped her brother on the arm and pointed toward the bully, The woman finished writing her post by saying that was the last trouble she ever had with that bully." In Proverbs 20, verse 8, it says, A king sitteth in the throne of judgment, scattereth away all evil with his eyes. That's Proverbs 20, verse 8. Folks, when will we wake up and realize that we need Jesus standing beside us all through the day? Hmm? When will we realize that just one look from Jesus will scatter all evil away from us? Why don't you come on the invitation tonight and ask Jesus to stand beside you this week. Someone here for sure is going to need Jesus. Let's stand for prayer now.